So the Bible reading today is from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. Let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. Don't stop them. Don't, Don't stop, them. stop them. Because the kingdom of God belongs. Because the kingdom of God belongs. The kingdom of God belongs. Belongs to such of these. Well, hello. So good to be with you. If you don't know me, my name's James, and usually I'm a part of the 6pm congregation, but it's such a joy to be with you this morning and to teach from this passage in Romans. Um, during the week, just a bit about me, I uh, serve with a Christian ministry that is uh, at Sydney University amongst university students, and I'm married to Mel, and we live in Parramatta, and we also study part-time at Moore College, so that's a bit about me. Um, But let's pray as we come to God's Word today. Our dear Father, we thank you so much that we can call you our Father. We thank you that by your Spirit we have the privilege of adoption, that we are your children. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a richer and deeper understanding of your great love for us today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as the connection question intimated, I wonder, are you much of a follower of what goes on with the British royal family? I was hearing a little bit about the the Danish royal family, is it? And um, the the princess being Mary and Australian, so I'm not very up on on the different royal families. I've only recently become more acquainted with the British royals, and my uh, mode of acquaintance has been the TV show The Crown. Has anybody else watched that show? Okay, oh yes, there's some fans here. Now, um, I don't know how accurate that is, so I, I, I know that in the recent season with Diana, there's a bit of creative license. So if I make any mistakes in my British Royal trivia, you'll have to correct me. But as I've become better acquainted with the Royals, what's astounded me is their glory, their wealth, their privilege, the esteem with which they're held in society. And of course, there's the splendor of the stuff. There's the crowns and the maces and the scepters and all the regalia. There's the palaces, the palace for near London, the palace for the country, the palace for going on holidays. And then there's the pomp of the ceremony, the choirs, the, the pristine, the all of the different trappings of royalty. 
But what is amazing to me is that in recent decades, the privilege and rights of the royals have been bestowed on common people. And who I'm referring to is those who've been incorporated into the royal family by marriage. Um, In particular, you might know some of these people, Kate Middleton, who married Prince William, and Meghan Markle, who married Prince Harry. Now, I, I, I got to know a bit about these women's former lives. Kate Middleton, she, she studied art history and she was a photographer. Very esteemed profession. Now, she's married to William, future King of England. That is just astounding. Meghan Markle, she's not even British. She's Canadian, uh, sorry, American uh, actress from California. And now she is incorporated into the royal family. Or is she? Uh, I'm not really sure where that's all up to. Now, this is not meant to be a contest of who your favourite royal couple is, although I'm sure some people have strong opinions about that. The point that I'm trying to convey is how extraordinary is the status change that these women have received. It's like a fairy tale story. The commoner married to the royal. Once these women were normal members of society, now they are bestowed with all the right and privilege of the royal family. And it's this concept of status change that we're going to consider today as we look at Romans chapter 8. Romans is a book all about change of status. At the outset of Romans, we learn about the status of human beings because of our sin. Romans chapter 1 talks about how people suppress the truth of God by their unrighteousness. By their wickedness, they worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. And this is the list of, of description that's given to humanity in Romans 1.29. It says, They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. And the list goes on. And this is quite an indictment. This list is not good for us. And if you look at these qualities, many of them are all too familiar in our society and in our own lives. According to Romans, because of our sin, our status is as objects of God's wrath. We are like children under wrath. But the good news of Romans is that status change is possible. Through faith in Jesus, unrighteous humans like you and I can be made righteous. We can be credited with God's righteousness. And in fact, what we can receive is, uh, through faith in Jesus, we can receive the best status change of all. We can go from being objects of wrath to now becoming children of God. And that's, of course, what we've been thinking about in this series. And we're going to dive into that idea in three regards today. Firstly, thinking about how to become a child of God. Secondly, why being a child of God is better than you can ever imagine And thirdly, the responsibility of being God's child. So firstly, how to become a child of God. Now, growing up, I loved how-to books. And one summer, as a 12-year-old, I read this book, HTML4 for Dummies. I was trying to teach myself how to code. I don't know if anybody else has 
tried that. It wasn't very successful. Um, and, but these days, you don't really need a book like that. You can just go to the internet or YouTube to find out how to do something. And uh, uh, about six months ago, I had a problem with my car. The power steering wasn't working. And I went to the mechanic, and I was a bit disconcerted because I saw them YouTube how to <laughs> fix that problem in my model of car. <laughs> but this how-to, how to become a child of God, is not a skill you can learn from the internet. It's a gift. It's a gift bestowed on us by God's grace. And in Romans 8:14, this is what we read about becoming a child of God. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. According to these verses, the way we become God's child is by receiving the gift of His Spirit. And the connection of the Spirit and being a child of God is that the Spirit is the Spirit of adoption. Having this Spirit in us means we have the privilege of calling God our Father. According to this passage, we don't relate to God like a slave relates to a master. We don't relate to God like a worker relates to their boss. We relate to God by this Spirit as a child relates to their parents. And as God's children, we can cry out to Him, Abba, Father. And Abba is an Aramaic word. It's a warm, intimate expression for a father. It's much closer in English to dad or to daddy. And um, I don't have any children, but I do have a little niece. She's um, about 15 months old. She doesn't know many words, but she does know mummy and daddy. And whenever she's in an uncertain situation, sort of like she is in this picture, <laughs> she cries out for her mum and her dad. She's looking around for them. She's crying out to them for, her help, for help. Just as my niece cries out for help, so too we can cry out to God as our Father. We are His children by the Spirit of adoption. And this is an amazing idea that the God who created the universe is our Father. And it's worth digging in a little more. How does this exactly come to pass? How, how does this um, eventuate? And to understand that, I think it's helpful to look at another part of the Bible where God is called Abba, Father. On the night before Jesus faced the cross, that's the term He used to describe His Heavenly Father. This is what we read on the night before Jesus faced the cross, when he was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went a little farther, fell to the ground, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Jesus, the Son of God, on that tortuous night before he faced the horror of the cross, he cried out to God as his Abba Father. He had a personal, intimate relationship with God as his Father. And on that night, he was indeed crying. He was saying, if there's any other way, if there's any other way by which this can 
sort itself out. Do I have to drink this cup? Do I have to take this cup of your wrath? But not what I will, but what you will be done. And surely out of love, if there were any other way, the Father would have brought that to pass. But there was no other option. It had to happen like this because only Jesus, the Son of God, could drink the cup of God's wrath in the place of sinful humanity. Like we saw in Romans 1, from God's point of view, humanity is characterized by unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness, and all these things mean we deserve to drink that cup. We deserve to drink the cup of God's wrath. But on the cross, Jesus drank it for us. Jesus forsook His family privileges as the Son of God in order that you and I may become God's children, in order that we may have the privilege of God's fatherhood. And the way we become God's children is by putting our faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. And when we do so, we receive God's Spirit. We are credited with Jesus' righteousness. Our status is changed And by God's Spirit, we can now relate to Him as a child relates to a father. God is your Heavenly Father. He wants you to come to Him with all your worries, all your struggles, all your pain, because He lovingly cares for you. Because of the Spirit, God is not distant or disengaged, but He is near and He wants to be involved. And it's one thing to intellectually grasp that, that, yes, on account of Jesus, we are God's children. But it's another thing to feel God's love. And that's another thing that the Spirit does for us. And that's what we read about in Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. Like a child who feels the love of their parents, so too God wants us to feel His fatherly love. God's Spirit can testify in our hearts that we are His children. And, and this is a little bit complicated because our emotions and our moods do fluctuate and our adoption as God's children doesn't depend on our feelings. But it is precisely because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross that we can receive God's Spirit, that God's Spirit can testify into our hearts of God's love. This is how an American theologian, Sinclair Ferguson, explains it. God has adopted us into His family. Then the Spirit assures us this is true and enables us to live in the enjoyment of such a rich spiritual blessing. He sends His Spirit into our hearts, bringing us the deep spiritual and psychological security that rests on the objective fact that our sins are forgiven and we belong to the Lord. This is our privilege as God's children. We don't just know that we are loved by God, but by God's Spirit we can feel that. This is the privilege of sonship. And the reason I use that word, sonship, is because it's uh, one we find in our passage. In verse 14, we read, All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. It's worth interrogating that language. Is this sexist? Can only blokes approach God as their father? Well, definitely not. 
The reason the word son is used is because adoption of sons was a common practice in the Greco-Roman world, which Paul was addressing. Even the Roman emperors adopted sons to succeed them. And what happened when a son was adopted is that the full privilege and inheritance of their new father was taken on. Their debts were taken on by their new father, and in exchange, they received the blessing of their new father's estate. What Paul is doing here is he's trying to convey to the readers that as children of God, we have the full privilege and inheritance of God's perfect son. We have the full privilege and inheritance as Jesus. And this brings us to our second big point today, being a child of God is better than you can ever imagine. Now, I wonder, when was the last time you had your expectations exceeded? A couple of months ago, I went to see the musical Hamilton. Who else has seen it? It's on at the Lyric Theatre. Okay, just a smattering. It's well worth it. Definitely go along. And I I'd, was familiar with this musical. It's on Disney+. Plus. I'd watched it there. I'd listened to the soundtrack. And... I knew how good it could be performed. I was a bit sceptical whether an Australian cast could pull it off. But I had my expectations exceeded. The actor who played Alexander Hamilton, the, the lead character, I think he was better, a better singer at least, than the original. Yeah, Lisa agrees. And the original Alexander Hamilton, he wrote the musical. He's quite a genius. But I actually think the Australian cast did a really good job. My expectations were exceeded. Now, sometimes when we think about all the benefits that come to us in Christ, we can have a small view of how good they are. We may not mean to, but our expectations can be somewhat muted. But as we look at this next section of the passage, I hope your expectation and your sense of anticipation of just how good it is to be a child of God, I hope it will be much expanded because being a child of God is so much better than we can even fully comprehend. This is what we read in Romans 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Being a child of God means we are an heir. Just as adopted sons in the ancient world were entitled to an inheritance, so too we are an in, entitled to an inheritance from God. And the inheritance we receive is so much better than any property or patrimony or estate in this world. God's children receive the inheritance of heaven. An inheritance that is so much better than anything in this world. And this is what we see in verse 17. There's three great reasons here why the inheritance of heaven will just be so good, so amazing. Firstly, we see in verse 17 that God's children are described as heirs of God. The best thing about heaven is that we get God. All the love and beauty and goodness and truth and majesty and light of God's character will be ours to enjoy forever unencumbered by sin or suffering or sorrow. That's just so good. Secondly, we see there in verse 17 that God's children are co-heirs with Christ. 
By the spirit of adoption, as God's children, we receive all the blessings of heaven that come to Christ, that come to Jesus. Just like Jesus, we will come in heaven to God as our Father, fully known and fully loved. Just like Jesus, we will come before God as our Father and we will receive honour for serving Him. Just like Jesus, we will rule and reign in God's new creation. All the blessings that come to Christ by the Spirit of adoption come to us as God's children. That's just so amazing. And thirdly, we see in verse 17 that as God's children, we are heirs, if indeed we suffer with Him, with Christ, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Those who suffer with Jesus will be glorified with Him. Though we struggle along in this life for the sake of Christ, our eternal life will be characterized by glory. And glory is a somewhat difficult concept to understand. The glory of heaven will be so much better than even the glory of the British British royal family. In heaven, there will be no pain. There will be no sorrow. There will be no sickness. There will be no death. In heaven, God will reign fully, perfectly, with justice and truth. In heaven, our heart's deepest longings for love and for peace and for joy will be fully and finally satisfied. C.S. Lewis wrote about the joy of heaven in comparison with worldly joys we experience now. And he wrote this essay about 70 years ago called The Weight of Glory, and it's been such an encouragement to me. This is what he said about the joy of heaven. Our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. The inheritance of heaven that comes to God's children is better, is so much better than we can ever imagine. In light of that, it's worth us reflecting, are we far too easily pleased? Have we contented ourselves just with pleasures of this world? And are we like ignorant children making mud pies in a slum, limiting our joy to mere worldly happiness? Where is your source of joy? Is it in your super balance or your garden or your gaming progress or the position you've attained at work or the fruitfulness of your family? Now, all of those can be good things, but they're small things in the perspective of eternity. God has set for His children to enjoy His eternal heaven, His eternal happiness where all worldly goods will be eclipsed. He doesn't want us to content ourselves with anything less. He wants us to look forward in amazement to that inheritance that is ours as children of God. Now, these are the amazing privileges that come to us as God's children. But whenever we think of rights and privileges, it needs to go along with responsibilities. 
And uh, there is, and this brings us to our third point, the responsibilities of being a child of God. And this is what we read in Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh, because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live, for all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. Having been made a child of God by adoption, having become an heir of God's heaven, we now have responsibilities. And in the British monarchy, there are certain royal obligations. There are state dinners and parties and banquets and receptions. It's a very difficult life. And Kate and Meghan have seemingly taken different approaches to these royal duties. Each of them has had the privilege of being incorporated into the royal family by marriage. But from the outside, or maybe just how the tabloids present it, Kate is much more dedicated to meeting those obligations, uh, while Meghan has not been. As God's children, who are heirs of His heaven, we too have responsibilities. Our obligation, verse 12, is not to live according to the flesh, but instead, verse 13, to be led by the Spirit. We are called to live by the power of the Spirit who has brought about our adoption. If you trust in Jesus, you have received God's Spirit and He wants to lead you to be more like Jesus. This is the Spirit who qualified you for adoption to sonship. But He not only qualifies you for adoption, He now empowers you to live for God and not for the flesh. And the flesh in the New Testament represents all the ways we try to seek satisfaction apart from God. Living according to the flesh is the attempts we make to satisfy ourselves with money and career and power. And that's how we're each bent in our sinful state. But what God's Spirit does is He enables us no longer to live for those desires but instead to be free, to be set free to live for God, to live in accordance with our new family identity. When you are tempted to seek satisfaction in secret lusts or in alcohol or in the abuse of power, God's Spirit is there. He desires to lead you to be more like Jesus. He wants to help you put sin to death. By God's Spirit, you can change. You can become more like Jesus, your co-heir and your saviour. Will you accept the Spirit's leading in your life? Will you become a willing participant in His sanctifying work? And we're not passive passengers in the Spirit's work. We have an active role to play in putting off our flesh. But the fuel in our tank is God's empowering Spirit. We're not in this alone. This Spirit doesn't want you to be fearful or enslaved to sin. Instead, He wants you to live in the joy and power and freedom of Christ's resurrection. He wants you to live according to your new family identity. He wants you to appreciate just how amazing it is to be a child of God. He wants you to know the greatness of the inheritance you have received as an heir 
And he wants you to feel the love of God shown to you. I think this is a struggle for all of us. Each of us struggles to appreciate just how immense and amazing is God's richness towards us as his children. And so we do need the Spirit's help to realize and appreciate that. And so what I want to do to finish is to pray a prayer that comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. It's a prayer Paul prayed that um, we, that the Ephesians and all Christians would have an understanding of just how rich is our inheritance in the saints. And that the Spirit would enlighten our hearts that we would know the power and love of our God and Father. So would you please pray with me? Let's pray. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what is the wealth of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the mighty working of His strength. God, our Father, we praise you. We thank you so much for your immense kindness to us in Christ. That because of Jesus, we can call you our Father. Because of Jesus, we can receive your Spirit. We can be adopted as children into your family. And we pray that by the power of that Spirit, we may put our flesh to death. We would instead be led in the life and joy of your Spirit. And we pray that by that same Spirit, we would appreciate just how amazing is your love for us in Christ, just how good your heaven will be, and that we would reorient our desires to live in light of that eternal joy. We thank you so much for who you are, for what you've done, and we pray that you would reshape us by your Spirit. We pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.